0: Here we go. Today is Sunday, July 24th. 2016, otherwise known as uh, Christmas Eve in July, and uh, this is episode 166 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett.
1: Hello, Jerry, and um, I'll have whatever you're having, Christmas Eve in
0: July. Well, tomorrow's Christmas in July. What? Today is Christmas Eve in July.
1: I, what?
0: Go with it, man.
1: Is this is this like a kid thing that I don't understand because I don't have
0: kids? No, it's a sale thing. It's a, it's a it's a capitalism thing. Wait, they're selling kids? Get on the program. So, uh before we get started, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. So, um I guess before I before we get started, I I had a couple of uh, of book recommendations I wanted to make to everybody. Uh, so, first one is uh, "Algorithms to Live By." That's it's really really good. That sounds exciting. Actually, it is. It, it is. And and what's it about? Uh, so it, it it is a book written about computer science related algorithms and how they real they relate to real world. So it's it's actually pretty cool talking about um uh you know queuing and um the part I'm on I'm almost at the end of the talks is talking about uh relating um IP backoffs or or ethernet backoffs to uh to real world situations so it's pretty cool. And then the other book is called Peak. And that book is about uh boy how to describe it it's about how to become an expert. So, if you've ever heard about Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hour rule, um,
1: which which basically is it takes ten thousand hours of doing something repeatedly to become an expert at it.
0: Yes, yeah. um, that actually that so that that was made popular by Malcolm Gladwell in his uh, his I think it was two thousand eight two thousand nine his book called Outliers. Mm-hmm. And um, that comment was actually based off of the research done by the author of this book called Peak. And um I'm not saying that the author of Peaks calls Malcolm Gladwell um full of it, but I'm not saying he doesn't either. Uh basically the, the, the ten thousand hour rule sounds really uh simple, but it's not that simple. And uh so it's really worth reading the book. Um uh, ten thousand hours is not what it seems, and uh but there are um uh, there are Definite lessons to be learned there. Uh, The the secret is um, just about anybody can get really good at just about anything. That's the, uh, to cut to the chase. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, go read those books. I've not been
1: reading anything along those lines. I just finished a book about how the, uh, basically the U.S. military was secretly testing, uh, Basically, Russian MIGs in the '70s and '80s, out at uh, Tuna Pond, Groom Lake, and that—that's what I read lately. So,
0: interesting. Yeah, I thought
1: it was interesting, but not, you know, maybe not for our audience, but maybe some. I don't know. I read that stuff. I guess I need to read more of your smarty smart book stuff. I guess.
0: (laughs) All right. So, so getting into our stories tonight, we have an update on the uh, continuing saga of the Swift hacking debacle. And this one comes from bankinfosecurity.com. And it talks about a report from Reuters, which did a really thorough investigation into uh, the the happenings that led up to an immediate aftermath of that um, $81 million that was stolen. And there were a lot of, th- lot of details in here that I hadn't heard of. And th- just thought some of these things might be Of interest. So, one of the most notable things is that um, in in the initial report, there was a mention that the way this was caught was uh, the attackers had misspelled one of the recipients, and it was caught by Deutsche Bank. And the the word was foundation instead of foundation. I don't remember what the the foundation's name was. And we made some jokes about, you know, isn't that guy dumb? And he probably. Is at the bottom of a ocean of a lake right now, uh, but actually, as it turns out, that apparently didn't really happen that way, at least. And
1: once again, proving that off initial press reports are incorrect. Yes, so we have to be careful uh, about you know until the full
0: story comes out. But right.
1: not that that not that that stops us from speculating anyway. But this is another example of that.
0: Right, right. So, uh, so to kind of cut to the chase. Um, the attackers still don't know who they are, had probed in, around in the Bank of Bangladesh's network for I, I guess a couple of days, maybe to a couple of weeks and had they waited until a Thursday evening in Bangladesh to start uh, issuing transactions because Thursday or Friday is, uh, is part of the weekend in Bangladesh, but it's a work day in the US. And the the transactions were actually submitted to the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. And, uh, and and interestingly, the first I guess the I don't know if it was the first batch or the at least the first transaction that was inspected by the Federal Bank in New York, Federal Reserve Bank in New York, uh, was misformatted and, and was rejected. And was noted why it was rejected and the attackers reformatted it and resubmitted it, and then it was uh, accepted. And um, there were thirty-five transactions submitted in all over the course of a couple of hours. Interestingly, the uh, the Federal Reserve Bank doesn't actually apparently um, apply any kind of fraud detection to these transactions. They're just they're just handled, and then at some point in the future, they go back and and apparently look at them for. Um, for compliance with different u s sanction programs like uh...
1: which yeah that that's the serious thing they they mainly care about it seems is the sanctions and the sanction laws not necessarily fraud it, it seems to me that right reading this at the Swift network was sort of at the central point built to completely trust other messages coming to the system. Yes, in other words, if I got a message in, yep. I just trust it, correct. Basically. Right, uh, and as long as it's formatted correctly and whatnot, I'll most most of the the other nodes will just sort of process the message, and then perhaps a review later might catch something odd. But that seems a little late.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so the the thing that apparently caused this to jump the tracks for the the attackers was that one of the recipients, I guess it was on the fifth, fourth or fifth transaction. Had a, a a recipient with a address that had the word Jupiter in it, and in uh, and, and apparently the Federal Federal Reserve Bank in New York applies some kind of an automated, and this by the way is not uncommon. I've seen this. I've seen the other side of this. Um, a, applies a uh, an analysis or or a, a, a filter looking for certain characteristics that might be indicative of a A sanctioned party and apparently the word jupiter is associated with some uh, boycotted iranian oil tankers and other iranian things and so uh, that that prompted someone at the federal reserve bank to go back and take a closer look and they realized that uh, it's not all is not good and so they they put the kibosh on further transactions and and actually then they uh they contacted Uh, the Bank of Bangladesh, through the Swift network. Apparently, Swift lets the different parties communicate with each other through the network. However, if you recall, uh, Bank of Bangladesh had their system set up so that any messages from Swift were printed out on their printer. However, the attackers had installed some malware that disabled the printer. And so the messages were not coming through. Once again, showing that they completely trusted the system. Yes,
1: that there was no even contemplation of the concept that somebody could corrupt the system or block messaging. Right, completely right. trusted.
0: So, uh, so anyway, the Bank of Bangladesh. Uh, you, I guess the one of the one of the higher ups came in on Friday and and didn't see anything amiss. Anyway, uh, some eventually they figured out that their um, their Swift terminal wasn't printing things. And so they, they did some work and rebooted it. All of a sudden they got all these messages, uh, including two from the federal reserve bank of New York saying, you know, what the heck is going on. And, uh, and so they, uh, th- at this point it was the weekend and the bank of Bangladesh employees tried desperately to contact the federal reserve bank of New York. However, there were no 24-hour contacts available. You could only find an email address that was monitored uh, 20 uh, sorry 8 by 5 during the week, so business hours during the week, which the, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank didn't get until Monday. And yeah, this was um, this was pretty bad. And then on the other side, in in the Bank of Bangladesh side, apparently, after it became known that money was transferred, the uh, the person responsible for the Swift, it's not, the hierarchy is not quite clear to me, but one of the one one of the uh, ministers in the bank who was aware of this uh, didn't advise the the higher ups, right? The the head of the bank, and um, so I, I think he ended up promptly resigning after that. If I if memory serves, it's um, you know that that's. Uh, there's just a couple of things, a couple of takeaways. One is, you know, it's it's really a really bad idea to apply so much trust in a system like that. I mean, it's it you have this very distributed network of endpoints that's man, where each endpoint is managed by somebody else, and you're being asked to implicitly trust the. Uh, um, you know, the authenticity of the messages that you receive from these other endpoints. And that just seems like a really kind of outmoded and probably never was a great idea to begin with. Um, and then the other one is that you only have, you know it just boggles my mind that the only mechanism they had in place was to communicate with each other was through the same network, which would create the problem to begin with.
1: Well, reading the article, they had other mechanisms, but it appeared being the weekend and, and overnight and time zone issues that, yeah, that there was a, a massive delay in that sort of communication and that the primary mode of communication was within the SWIFT network because, you know, it's a feature. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I, you know, like many things, I think this is a failure of imagination of the way that this system could be corrupted. And it was designed for ease of use and facilitating quick money transfers and such, and and the only real controls that were, uh, at least to our external non-expert eyes, were around things like sanctions controls. Yeah. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, that's obviously going to change, but this is a symptom of a common problem, which is that these systems are designed without taking paranoid security view into account. Right, And so, you know, we're over there going, well, duh. And, and you know, but businesses are, are are often have this idea, well, you guys are just paranoid and you're making life difficult and we have to get work done. That's right. And, you know, maybe eight times out of 10, they're right. And they get away with it for a really, really long time. But then we can stand here after and go, well, hey, you know, if you had just done X, Y, Z. But frankly, that's not how business is working right now. Right. You know, the other thing is we speculated really heavily for a long time that the attackers must have had a ton of insider information because of how complex and unique this environment is and how they had the format messages just right. But now from this latest report, that's not the case. It looks like they were in there doing recon for over a month. It even got the first batch of messages wrong, but were given another chance to try. Yeah. Yep. So it, it looks like these guys were not insiders as we had earlier speculated. They just uh, had plenty of time to dwell in the environment and do plenty of recon.
0: Yeah, and I I think they they took full advantage of that implicit trust of the endpoint, and because yeah. one of the one of the things that comes out in this in this article is that the uh, the Bank of Bangladesh is is really quite furious with the New York Fed because well, understandably so yeah I... well because the the the. Uh, the, the transactions were were unlike any others. I mean, they, the first one was completely corrupted, like that should have been a signal, and then all the, or most of the rest of them were in, were addressed to individuals. And then they said that uh, the the Bank of Bangladesh averaged two transactions a month. I think it was a month, or maybe it was a day. I don't remember which. I'm getting old. But anyway, it was it, it was way more volume than they normally get, regardless. Right uh and and so that should have also uh triggered some some kind of an alert but it didn't and in in the in the article here they they point out that the the New York Fed handles 800 billion dollars worth of transactions a day and so even this 1 billion dollars is kind of noise you know it's it's a it's just not well, a, not a big big thing
1: and i guess it goes back to what was the original agreement contractually between you know, Bangladesh and, and the New York Fed? Did the New York Fed sign up to secure against this sort of problem? Or is, is the, the, the Bangladesh folks trying to put that requirement onto the New York Fed after the fact? You know, it's kind of like you look at a managed service provider, and you, you sign up for the managed service provider to manage your firewalls. But does that mean that your managed service provider now needs to be responsible if you don't patch something and you get popped? Right. You know, So it's an interesting question of what is the New York Fed or the SWIFT network or whatever truly responsible for? We saw a lot of notices after the fact of the SWIFT going, hey, guys, protect your damn systems.
0: Right. Well, I, I guess... We'll get a chance to find out what the legal view is, because apparently the Bank of Bangladesh is in the process of filing a lawsuit against both SWIFT and the New York Fed. So
1: well, if it goes like most cases, it will probably just be settled, and we won't necessarily
0: know. Possibly so. Possibly so. So let's move on to our next story, which comes from uh, Vice.com, and the title is, Ransomware Gang Claims Fortune 500 Company Hired Them to Hack the Competition. This was a really interesting s- story. Uh, so, F Secure, in in the process of doing some investigation, uh, were, you know, I guess they dispatched a uh, one of their employees to pose as someone who had been infected by a, a piece of ransomware known as Jigsaw. It was one, Jigsaw is a very common uh, piece of ransomware used by. Potentially, lots of different attackers. But uh, anyway, they they uh, they called the help desk of one of these ransomware campaigns, basically acting as a clueless person. And uh, you know, obviously being from Finland, the the uh, uh, help desk agent, if you will, <laughs> said that uh, he was surprised that this person uh, in Finland had had been infected with this malware because the customer who had paid them to run the malware campaign uh, hadn't included anyone in Finland. And uh, and then went on to say that, uh, it, in fact, it was a Fortune 500 company who had paid for the the, the the ransomware campaign and had apparently given a specific list of targets and this person wasn't one of the targets so that they were... Not quite sure how that person ended up being infected, and uh, and apparently also said that the purpose of it was to delay the operations of the uh, of the victim company. So the implication here is that one Fortune 500 company had has paid a ransomware outfit to target a competitor with ransomware to lock up some files and delay their operations. For some reason, right? I mean there's
1: Well, it's quoted in the article. The purpose was just to lock files to delay a corporation's production time to allow our clients to introduce a similar product into the market first.
0: Ah, uh, there you go. Which is
1: really quite fascinating when you think about it.
0: Yes. And,
1: but of course when you lay down with pigs
0: <laughs> right? Indeed. Be
1: careful who you hire.
0: So there's not a not a ton of uh you know no no new uh revelations except for the fact that apparently um you know there are there are possible new motives that we hadn't really considered before you know so so the whole malware and and crime, uh, cyber crime as a service thing may may have deeper uh um uh, deeper roots than it it, it might otherwise seem
1: well, it's kind of like a, a production DOS in many ways, right? It's it's Exactly. It, it can be a uh, methodology. So now you combine this with the concept of many, many large botnets that have uh, already pre-infiltrated many different organizations, and then you offer out, hey, are you a competitor of Bob's budget bait and dial-in, and you want to slow down his new offering? Well, we've already got boxes inside. Give us a call.
0: It, exactly. It's, uh, That's right. That's right. They just, a, they just lay in wait. It's just an interesting development, <laughs>
1: which is why I rebuild my OS every single day.
0: Seems like a good idea.
1: In fact, I even melt down the motherboard. I redraw the circuits. Wow. Reprint the CPU. I don't trust a damn
0: thing. Hardcore. You must get up early in the morning to do all that. It's true. It's true. It's tough.
1: But, you know, that's why I have coffee. Oh, that's right. You're not drinking caffeine anymore. Shut up. Mm, tasty, tasty caffeine. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> uh, coursing through my veins.
0: <sighs> yes, so it's okay. Um, just just do your twelve step program. You'll be fine. Yes, thank you very much. So, uh, so anyhow, my my caf- lack of caffeine is making it hard to focus. <laughs> um,
1: anyway, so, ransomware as a service to disrupt competitors. New thing, exciting. Yep.
0: And uh Watch yet this another
1: space. yet another fun thing to worry about.
0: Watch this space. Don't get any mm-hmm. ideas, guys. Mm-hmm. And then our uh, final story from today comes or for today comes from Lexology.com.
1: For the record, it's been a light news week it in the space, at least
0: according to us. So it, well, it's the run up to uh you know, to DEF CON Black Hat Besides L V, so
1: or as some call it the Summer hanker Camp.
0: Yeah, Security Summer Camp, that's right. Which
1: I won't be at and you won't be at. I know. But we will, little teaser, we will be in October in New York. That's right. And we'll talk about that after the story. That's right.
0: And and I will be at DerbyCon, too. So there you go. Yeah, I'll be trying to get married. So uh, so the, here's, the, here's the deal. The, the title is Cyber Security Response to Recent Wholesale Payment System Breaches and uh, th- this we i think we talked about this maybe a, a couple of weeks ago but at, in response to the swift attacks the ffic which is the federal financial institutions Ad, uh, examination council here in the united states issued some guidance and they basically said you know secure your payment crap or your your messaging payment crap <laughs> that's pretty much exactly what they said too yeah and you know, and it was very interesting because I, I always love their releases, and they, when they they end it with, "This does not create any new regulatory obligations," which right. basically is like, "You should have been doing this all along, dumbass."
1: It's kind of like their version of "I'm not a lawyer."
0: <laughs> yes. Right. Right. But but I thought there were some good some good things in here, uh, but at the same time there are some things that I wanted to talk about. So um, let's go through some of their recommendations and then the the SEC also made some recommendations too. Um, So the first recommendation is to conduct ongoing information security risk assessments to identify, prioritize, and assess risks to the financial institution's critical systems and to address emerging threat intelligence regarding online accounts. Financial institutions should be should also consider requiring the third-party service providers to conduct similar assessments.
1: So somebody read somebody's marketing.
0: Yeah, and I think that the, the theme that you're going to get from me on all of these is that what that means to me is very different than what it means to you. Right. And if I, I can hire company A to come out and do a risk assessment and then I can hire company B... And they will end up with very, very, very different things. This is all non-deterministic stuff. Yep. And and that is the problem. Uh, their, ne- their next item is to maintain up-to-date protection and detection systems to perform security monitoring, prevention, and risk mitigation. Fire. Well, I'll stop there for a second. So does up-to-date protection and detection mean like that I should make sure that I have my Uh, you know, AV dat files up to date? Or does that mean that I, like, need to keep buying, oh, you know, the next, uh, next, 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 next gen endpoint protection? Right. What what does that even mean? And then, uh, and then firewall rules should also be configured properly and reviewed periodically. That one made me see red.
1: (laughs) It's like somebody read the back of a CISSP book is kind of what this feels like to me.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes yes what is a properly configured firewall
1: uh well see that is the challenge because that's different for everybody how do you know how do you justify and you know we could talk for hours about how you run a firewall properly in and of itself is its own art but at the end of the day it's about knowing what rules should be in place for appropriate business risk the problem with this entire conversation is what is appropriate business risk for an individual organization
0: and do they fully understand the the implications of the of the decisions right. they're making all right so Absolutely. i mean they, 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 my experience has been the answer to that question is often no
1: so for most people when they do a firewall review they look and see all right here's all the firewall changes that happened last year look we've got valid requests for all these good to go see you bye
0: <laughs> That's right That's right there's no there's no real ass- assessment of whether that and yet, is good
1: Firewalls can be so extremely powerful for reducing your attack surface
0: Right But it takes
1: a lot of time and effort to run them properly and it slows down business. So a lot of time firewalls just get in the way and they end up far more open and loosely run than they should be because
0: businesses want
1: to go fast.
0: That's true. And if you're going to review them periodically, the less rules they have, the easier that goes. That's right. Uh, So the next recommendation is to protect against unauthorized access to financial institution systems by limiting the number of access credentials distributed across the institution and regularly regularly Review access rights to confirm individuals have appropriate access. Really? What, what is appropriate access?
1: So let me point out for the record, if I were writing these, the first thing I would say is have an incredibly robust vulnerability management program with aggressive patching SLAs. It's the first thing I would say. Yeah. Patch your crap, and I mean everything. That stops a good 70% of problems right there.
0: But 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 uptime. <laughs> patching is it. dangerous. I get it, but... Patching is curr- dangerous. Look, I'm not
1: saying this will last forever, but for the current environment, just if there's any one thing you can do, patching is probably the one thing. If you only had to pick one thing, freaking patch. <laughs> All right, so... Unauthorized access by limiting the number of access credentials distributed. Really? So,
0: what's the right number?
1: Right. And if I only okay, forty-two so by, by following this, I'm like, oh, I should only have three credentials. Here, Bob, give your team one of these credentials. Yep. Now, there's there is logic here, but it could be something along the lines of, you know, audit the number of people with access and how they access it, and run behavioral anomaly detection of when and how they log in with those uh, and enable two-factor and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, the, the challenge I have with these is they're platitudes, right? They're non-specific, unhelpful platitudes that sound like they're conveying knowledge and they leave people with an understanding that, oh, I'm smarter now, I know how to protect my environment. But you don't.
1: So they're kind of like the equivalent of those posters you see in workrooms, of like some pretty picture with some, some phrase underneath to motivate you, but for information <laughs> yes, security,
0: that, that's exactly right. Yes.
1: Try your best.
0: Yes. Hang in there. <laughs> Courage. Tough it out.
1: <laughs> Think like an entrepreneur.
0: Right. Let's see. Um, establish controls around critical systems and test the controls regularly. Appropriate controls include, but are not limited to, access controls, segregation of duties, audits, fraud detection. It should be implemented according to associated risks.
1: So if you know what that means, I can actually translate that into actionable items. You don't need this list.
0: Therein, I think that is, you just captured my entire problem with these lists. (laughs) It's that in order to act, in order to action these, these, these concepts, you have to have people or a person or a team or, or something that understands at a, at a very deep level, what these mean and the environment and what's needed and what the risks are, because it's not going to be the same for everybody. And, you know, I'll be honest. One of the, problems i see time and again is companies making ris- uh, accepting risks and not really understanding what that means like they, they they think they understand the risk that they have accepted but they really don't and, and and that's a that's a in in a lot of respects that's a failure of security right because you know, it's not a business person isn't really going to have a deep handle on the, the implications of those risks. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to make it real. And I'll be honest, a lot of that, that failure falls on the technical people uh, that, that I've seen. And, and that's a big problem. We've got to, we've got to figure that out. And it doesn't help that, you know, the business people also control the, the types and number of, (laughs) of those technical people. So, I suppose.
1: At, let's say you're a, a CIO or you're a CFO who owns the IT organization and you get this list. How is this useful to you? You're going to go to your CISO
0: or your security group and say, are we doing this stuff? Yeah, are we, I, I <laughs> want right. my firewalls review, reviewed periodically and I want the report on my desk tomorrow. Right, Exactly. And, and and you're still going to get hacked, and then you're going to say, "Well, how come my firewall review didn't didn't catch that?" Right. Well, you know that port was open because somebody asked for it to to be and opened. And
1: let's be honest, attackers have moved beyond going after the front door. Firewalls yeah. achieved their goal; it made attackers shift to another vector.
0: Right. Yep. Let's see uh, what's next. Confirm business continuity planning enables the institution to quickly recover and maintain payment processing operations. Um, you know, the one thing I see there, by the way, and I, I run into this a whole lot is that especially with the FFIC, and I think to their credit, they have been leading kind of leading the charge on trying to inject the concept of, of cyber risk into uh, business continuity and disaster recovery because uh, you know a lot of organizations rely on geographical separation for their their uh, BC and DR operations, which is great if you're worried about volcanoes and hurricanes and floods and tornados and fires and things like that. but it doesn't work really well if you're worried about the you know the, the, the person that has compromised your systems and is currently corrupting your sand. And that corruption is being replicated real time across to your hot site,
1: or your and, ransomware that's currently encrypting your files that are currently being replicated over to your hot site. Right,
0: <laughs> exactly. Correct. You got it. And uh, and so so that's, it, I think, I think this um, this is an area where I think we we have a lot of of learning to do. Um, provide regular mandatory information security awareness training programs.
1: Let's beat on that to see Dequine for a little while.
0: Nope. <laughs> engage in information or industry information sharing. Well, How
1: exactly is that? Going? I mean, this is a common refrain that we've heard for years and years and years, and there is valid use for this. But what information sharing? What industry? What should I be sharing? How do I engage? What does that mean?
0: Well, the government has picked up the intel, the intelligence sharing drum and they are beating it to death. And it, you know, I'm, I'm. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the end game is there. There's definitely I, some some appropriate there is value,
1: but you've got to have a really mature, robust organization to to know how to deal with it and use it
0: for it to be useful. That's right. Yeah. And I I don't think a lot of organizations are there, and that's my concern. Is that you know you you get you get a lot of these government agencies banging the drum saying you know you got to share. You got to participate in these information sharing arrangements, and we're like, "Look, we don't have firewalls." <laughs> right. I mean, let's or, focus on the basics here. Or you know, we uh, we 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 have uh we have the free version of Malwarebytes. <laughs> uh. So. So yeah. Um. Then. The uh the, the let's see, which or other organization was this? Was this was the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructures issued some additional guidance, uh, which they have a framework that has five pillars. One of them was cyber governance, which basically is um, establishing ownership. Uh, So senior executive management ownership. And and I think this one, by the way, is played to death, right? I mean, how many times do you open up any freaking website, whether it's CSO or Wired or Google News, right? And, you know, Cyber is now a boardroom thing, and I that which means they're just
1: asking the CISO. Hey, what are we doing about that cyber?
0: Makes me yawn. Um, because cyber stuff is not decided; it's not solved at the boardroom.
1: Jenny, I need a coffee with extra cyber.
0: <laughs> Identification is the next is their next pillar, um, and that's basically identifying your important business functions and and then rating them uh and kind of how they relate to each other and figuring out um kind of basically prioritizing your protection around those I, I, I see with that though a lot of um a lot of organizations don't really understand the interrelations. they they think they do but they don't and target and Home Depot were both great examples of that right they 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 think they understand how their systems interrelate, but they, they in fact do not. Protection—that's a pretty obvious. Um,
1: but you know, on the identification one, I do somewhat agree there that having a good inventory and inventory management and understanding your assets and your environment is is foundational.
0: No, well, no question, I, absolutely. I guess my point is that you know, in addition to the 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 foundational aspect of of having that inventory what, what they're, the, the drum they're on is, is prioritizing. And, yeah and my, um, my observation is that organizations don't a lot of times have a great understanding of, of, so, you know, I've prioritized this particular thing is, is like really critical, but this other thing over there, you know, that's not critical, but at the end of the day, they don't, one doesn't work without the other. And, and it's, it's that, it's, it's that level of, of detail that I think often gets lost. Um, I would agree. So yep. protection, this is kind of goes back, right? So protection is not deterministic, right? It's, it is a, uh, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it, it It's a, it, it's a, it's a hope and a wish, and that, therein lies the problem, right? Because no, you
1: just have to align with business practices, industry business practices. Best, sorry, align with industry best practices, and you'll be fine. Just go do what your what what your peer is doing. Which, by the way, that drives me batshit crazy when executives are like, "What's what's our competitor doing? We should do that
0: <laughs> because because they've got it right. They've got it right. nailed. Like
1: Th- that is exactly." And I've seen this over and over again, where companies ask consulting firms or whatever, measure me against my peers.
0: Which, is, which, by the way, I, to go off on a tangent for a second, is really funny because in, other, in every other context, they think of their competition as a bunch of knuckle-dragging monkeys.
1: Agreed. But in this case, what they're looking at is trying to measure the wisdom of crowds with the appropriate level of cyber investment. And so if they think they're close to in line, they're being competitive. They yeah. don't want to overspend.
0: Yeah, that's true,
1: and but you know, again, it goes back to the fundamental assumption that their competitors are doing it right, and that they have the same level of risk tolerance and everything else. And yeah, it's it's a it's a dangerous metric, and I don't agree with it at all. But it is absolutely asked for by a lot of executives out there. Yeah, I I, I know off on a tangent
0: there. But... No, it's it's okay. I I think that back on the protection one, the the, the issue here. Is this again requires really talented and knowledgeable people, who have and
1: a, and a willingness of executive leadership to listen to the recommendations and advice of those talented people and potentially change business process.
0: Well, that's true, but I guess my point is that it, th- there's one thing: if if a business, if if a you know if a, if a security person comes to an executive and says we need to do A, B, and C, and the executive says, well, we can't afford A, but we'll do B and C, and then you get compromised by doing, you know, by not doing A. It's a different story than if your security person says is completely oblivious to A and just comes Agreed. forward and says, well, we should do B and C. And I, and I think that's what we see a lot of over and over and over and over again. And and part of the reason I think is is kind of goes back to things that we've talked about in the past, which is that security and IT in general is like a trade craft. You know, it's like building tables. It's you no, know, it's not. So
1: really, we should be apprenticing at at the uh, at the the cyber forge.
0: It, it's not a bad idea. I mean, if if, if it weren't such a rapidly evolving. Uh, te- you know, technology-wise, if it weren't so rapidly evolving, I think that would make a lot more sense. It, it is the very fact that it's evolving so quickly that makes I, I think the apprenticeship model really difficult to make sense. But otherwise, I think that would be a good idea. Uh, and then finally, detection. Um, you know, th- that is a lo- I guess a little more. I suppose a little more deterministic. But again, um, I think this is an area where we see a lot of outsourcing and a lot of blinky boxes in the, in the detection space.
1: Yeah. And these are all areas that take a great deal of time and effort to mature. Yeah. You know, buying a SIM and buying all these tools and getting them stood up and run properly and having institutional knowledge of how to run them and tuning and tuning out the false positives. And, you know, that's, it's usually a year to get that stuff up and running properly.
0: Show me the return on investment for our sim by tomorrow. Right. <laughs> anyway, that uh, there's a little more in the story, but I'm getting tired and cranky. So, let's talk about our uh, let's talk about our our conference coming up in October.
1: Indeed, Jerry and I are going to be at the Riley Security Conference in New York at the end of October. I think it is. Like October thirtieth through, like November second or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in New York, and Jerry and I will be running the Ignite track, which I think is happening one of the evenings from like six to nine or something like that. Which is should be fun. It's five-minute prezos with auto advanced slides. I think we're uh, they're going to open up the call for papers for that uh, in August, and Jerry and I will be hosting, which should be a good time. We hope. That's right. And come, we'll be coming around that's right we'll be bumming around the conference the rest of the time hopefully as well Um, so yeah that'll be fun and I'll be freshly married so sorry to disappoint all the the listeners who are pining away from me
0: do you know know how many tickets were just canceled
1: all zero of them (laughs) anyway I mean aside from your mom of course but that goes without saying
0: yep it's been a while well,
1: I didn't really include her because she's not really a listener.
0: True, it's true. Anyhow, uh,
1: you'll you'll be where you'll be at DerbyCon. I'll
0: be at DerbyCon. Nice. Yeah, bring in the family, actually. Oh wow! Yeah.
1: You're a brave man.
0: Should be fun. Uh, kids, my kids have always wanted to go, and I, I got to see <laughs> I got to see if I can, how I can uh, disguise the dog uh, to be. a... <laughs> Cyber Lacey
1: will be there as <laughs> cosplaying as Chewbacca.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, no, it's not gonna... a dog. Just the just a, a weird no, person. No, it's
1: your service animal. It's your it's your cyber detection cyber.
0: Oh, that's right. Detection. She sniffs bad packets.
1: That's right. She's a bad packet sniffer. That's right. And by that, she's not a bad sniffer. She sniffs bad packets. Well, just to be clear. Yeah. So, are you going to teach the kids like some some lock picking and?
0: Yeah, actually, I've already taught them lockpicking.
1: You're a brave man.
0: Uh, Let's see what else. Any other
1: conferences you're going to be at soon?
0: Um, No, don't think so. So
1: one other interesting note in industry news, I noted that this week a company I used to work for, Dabala, got bought by Core Security. Uh, What's interesting about this is I worked at Dabala for about a year and a half, many, many, many years back, and definitely was a challenging place to work and uh they had over 60 million dollars and i think five different rounds of funding from vcs and such and they sold for less than nine million to core security Oof. so
0: not not all the unicorns work out no <laughs> uh nope. you know i i i have to say it it never it never really the, the concept of them never really st- you know, struck a chord with me, so.
1: It, I have to be careful about, you know, what's ethical and appropriate for me to say. But I, I will say that there was an interesting detection capability when I was there, based on DNS traffic of botnet compromised hosts. The problem that I had when I was there was that that was all it was was purely a detection technique uh, that didn't have a lot of credibility yet because it didn't. Nobody really believed us because other tools weren't agreeing. Uh, and you'd have to do full forensic analysis to prove it, which is very expensive and time-consuming. And two, there was nothing else at the time I was there, and this was six, seven, eight years ago, so keep that in mind. This is a while ago. This is the technology has evolved since then. Uh, but there was nothing else we could do. We couldn't stop it. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't tell you how to mitigate it. We couldn't tell you how to remediate it. We couldn't tell you anything other than, hey, that host is hosed. Um, right. And, you know, you walk into a Fortune 100 company with that story, and they're like, you no. Know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, back at the back in you know at that time, I think so. The, the challenge was that, and this was the detection technology that spun out of Georgia Tech, and, and I think something we see over and over again: a really interesting academic approach to something does not make a business model. So just because you can detect something that isn't enough and doesn't give you enough of a viable business to go and sell to organizations. They want a solution. I know that's an overused trendy term, but it's true. They want a solution to the problem, not just a problem. Regards to the fact of how valid it is and how appropriate it is, and they should know this, at the end of the day, businesses are like, well, you're not solving a problem for me. You're, you're giving me a problem that I have to solve. Yeah, well, the thing
0: that it always struck me that that they, that, that technology, well, I think it was pretty good. I had some other friends there too. Um, it, it it didn't make sense as a standalone thing. It, Correct. It was always exactly. going to be. It was always yeah. destined to be part of something else. So I
1: agree, and and I think for lots of reasons that didn't happen. Yeah. And you know, without getting into stuff that understand. probably would cause us some legal pain. Uh, uh, <laughs> understand. Just because you know, I don't. You know, as snarky as I can be about vendors and such, I, at the same time, I also don't want to violate confidences. Yep. And, I'm, and I'm not trying to play that whole, oh, I know something you don't know. It's just, you know, when you see how the dog food is made, dog food is made, there's times that you, you don't necessarily tell people that.
0: Yep, I understand. All right, well, that's the uh, that's the show for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, if you do like the show, give us some love on iTunes. If you don't, don't. <laughs> uh, you can follow, find uh, links to the stories we talked about today on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Kel on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at link. And with that, we'll talk again next week.
1: See you guys. Have a great week. bye